on the pages of American folklore, a legion of mighty folks have left the symbols of their greatness. Well, there was Paul Bunyan's axe, George Lucas's flannel shirts, John Henry's hammer, and then quite unexpectedly, one comes upon some swear words, digital cinema, and Liam Neeson's wig flying around in the desert. And strangely enough, these are the symbols of one of the greatest people ever born, Richard McCallum, a real-life movie producer. With the passion years, however, reality has given way to legend. Until today, we know this remarkable man simply as Rick McCallum. This is his story, told by two fans who did not know him, but love him deeply. Let's listen now. George Lucas was a filmmaker with a great big job to be done. A job that needed a producer, Rick McCollum was the one. Hey, Rick, Rick McCollum. Cinema's future, he did see, was digital technology. Hey, Rick, Rick McCollum. fans and move milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 161 of blast points this is jason and scabe it's phantom menace year month three just keeps going phantom menace year phantom menace year phantom menace year there's no stopping it until the end of the year. That's the <laughs> Maybe we'll keep Phantom Menace. Maybe it'll be Phantom Menace Decade. Well, we'll see. After the, the 40th anniversary panel, we may want, you know, it'll be Phantom Menace every day, every day. <laughs> Again. So, yeah, maybe it will be Phantom Menace Decade. Well, this is a very special episode. It's an episode that we've been, I think we've had this planned since the beginning of the podcast, but have been afraid to do. Yeah, this was definitely on the short list of episodes when we first started that we had. We knew we had to do one devoted to the amazing Rick McCollum, but 
we were much too much too afraid. <laughs> so we're not we're not ready for that yet. We got to do it justice. We got to do another 150 or so episodes before we can even <laughs> get near that hotness. But this is it. This is the the Rick McCallum spectacular, the legend of Rick McCallum. The stories how the legend of Rick McCallum has influenced our lives. Hopefully he's influenced your lives as well. You know, and he I, he's influenced everyone's lives, whether they know it or not. He really has. He's he's had his fingers in, in everything. Yeah, if you're at dinner and you're having some pie, he probably had his finger in it. <laughs> That's why it tastes so sweet. There's There's been tall tales. There's been stories. There have been songs written about Rick McCallum, folk songs. Well, should we get in and try to separate some uh, some of the fact from the legends as, as best as we can? It, it's it's like that that gentle prospector in the intro said. You know, time has given way to legend, and some of the lines are blurred from the truth and the legend of Rick McCallum. But we're we're going to do the best we can to separate the legend and the truth. But let's let's start with. What Rick McCallum means to us, we, Gabe. When when did you first learn about Rick McCallum? When did when did this mysterious figure enter your life? It's got to be. It was in Star Wars Insider, and it was the the lead up to the special editions that there was this guy talking about these new Star Wars releases coming out in what like a just a paragraph or two in Star Wars Insider. I think that's when I first learned of Rick McCallum too, and it was. It was this mysterious man, and they had a photo of him wearing like sunglasses with like with the Arctic side, like the fabric on the sides of these sunglasses. And it was like, who is this guy, and why does he have all the knowledge that we're dying to learn? And I swear they printed the picture of him where the sunglasses were actual real mirrors. They used like mirrored ink. (laughs) And he was like looking (laughs) off to the side in all these pictures. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so you would look into Rick McCown's glasses and see yourself. It's very symbolic. Yeah. Well, and this is before, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of internet that you could maybe figure stuff out. But yeah, I didn't realize he was the young Indiana Jones guy or, yeah, who is this guy? It was before the internet. We had no information coming in on the Star Wars Special Editions. I mean, maybe you could check like Corona's coming attractions and there was like an insane list of things that you knew even back then were not ever going to happen. But then you would get these issues of Insider and it would say right on the cover, like Special Edition Update with Rick McCallum. You read like these paragraphs of the, of probably Dan Madsen talking to Rick McCallum and this mysterious person was just as excited about the Special Editions as you were. And he was producing them. And you'd never heard of this person before in your life. But you knew instantly he was your best friend. Well, I think that's the thing with Rick McCollum through the years is he speaks out loud what you feel in your heart about Star Wars. You can feel it, but he somehow brings it to life through words. Just how excited you are and can be about a new movie coming out. And I feel like the legend of Rick McCallum grew as... The VHS for the the Phantom Menace came out, and then the DVD, and he was all over those, just talking crazy. He he was as much a promoter for Star Wars as a producer because he would do interviews, or you would maybe see him on like a TV interview talking about something coming out. Right? If they if they if they were talking about like the Phantom Menace on Entertainment Tonight, 
he would get just as much screen time as George Lucas. If not more, they would use his footage more because he probably talked more. <laughs> well, and I think that's I think I enjoyed so much about the seeing the two of them is he seemed like in a way the perfect producer for George Lucas because he is kind of like he's the it's the balance. He's the yin to his yang where He's just loud, and he says the stuff that George you know, George Lucas is never that excited about anything. I, I like race cars, chalk, chocolate bars. I'm really excited about it. This is my excited toe. Yeah. Yeah. He's excited on the inside. But, yeah, Rick's just all on the outside, and it's like everything's going to be incredible and amazing. And it's like, yes, yes, it is. Tell me more. I know at least for I – mean, we loved him from he – was, he was our source of information and insider – Especially in the episode one, the beginning documentary, he's kind of the star of that documentary. Yeah, that's a good bet. Maybe that was like his turn from mysterious information man to superstar, getting to see all the behinds hijinks with him and just all that McCollum charisma oozing out of the screen. I know we've talked about it a lot before, but there's the classic moment where Ewan McGregor calls him to say that he was going to do the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And McCallum slides into his office, picks up his phone, and just says into it, Dude. Hello? Dude. I'm so f***ing happy. This is just, it's brilliant. It's so, I'm so happy. George is so happy. It's just, it's just fantastic. Listen, I had, uh, I saw Liam on Sunday in Prague, and, and I told him we were getting closer and closer, and he was so thrilled. I mean, really, really happy. We all are. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also, I think, going to be so worthwhile. It's going to be so great, dude. Liam's in Prague. It never gets old. Dude. It's... <laughs> And the, the, the other classic moment from the beginning documentary, though, is with the sandstorm hitting Tunisia and McCallum's. But I don't even know who he's calling. He's calling somebody. Maybe it's Lucas. Probably not. I don't know. He's calling somebody. It's grim. It's seriously grim. This is grim. This is seriously grim. But not unbelievably doable. The pods are really f- badly, so we're going to have to really uh, work hard to get those. I think that's going to have to push that right down to the end of the schedule over. Uh, 10-4. And any news on Liam's wig? Is that all taking place? Can we win on this one over? Yeah, Rick, they're trying to clean it up here on the location. But um, at the moment, we still haven't tracked down Liam's beard. By the next day, he's all smiles. He's making it happen. He's got everything back on track. He's all attitude and excitement, but he makes the movies happen. Which, with with the prequels, that's an amazing feat to have done, especially episode one. You know, the, in the beginning, there's the famous part early in that documentary where Lucas is going through all the storyboards. And he's like, this is real, that's real, that's not so real, this is real. You know, and they, there's the guy looking at John Knoll, and they're like sweating bullets. Yeah. <laughs> One guy passes out in the back, and Lucas is still with the markers. That's real. That's not real. They cut to McCallum during all that, and he's, like, stoic. He's like a rock. He's like, yeah, we're going to do this, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to kick ass. <laughs> but I know for yeah. us, though, for us, we, we loved McCallum during all this. The real turning point was Celebration 2. Yes. 
that's when we stopped just thinking McCallum was a cool guy and funny in these documentaries. Where now, almost 18 years later, <laughs> we're still talking about Rick McCallum. No, I still remember going in that room and it's like, oh, he's in the room. He's really there. <laughs> and he's still the same guy talking, talking nonsense. But it's the, the most awesome nonsense I've ever heard. Hyping up this footage we're going to see that we're already practically hyperventilating, waiting to see. <laughs> we don't need any hyping up, but he's managing to hype us up even more. I remember sitting in that audience, yeah, and he's telling us just how incredible and how awesome Attack of the Clones is going to be. And how it's going to be and how we're all going to love it. And it's going to be the greatest thing we ever saw. We may think we're ready for Attack of the Clones, but we're not ready for Attack of the Clones. And that he was telling us exactly what we wanted to hear at that moment. <laughs> and it wasn't even like the biggest room. That was a crazy thing with Celebration 2 and 3 with the Rick McCallum Spectacular. That's where you found out the juiciest stuff. That's where you saw the actual footage from the next movie. But it wasn't even in the big room. It was in like some small, weird little room. Yeah, it was like half of a ballroom, and they had a a full size theater projector in there that took up like a third of the seats. Was just, and then yeah, just Rick McCollum like sitting on a chair. I think right. I don't even think he was standing up because it was like he was too excited to stand up. He had to sit down. He would get up and pace around sometimes. I think when he was talking about Attack of the Clones, he'd get up and pace around. We've said this story before, but it's worth saying again. Yeah, he shows the footage from Attack of the Clones, and he pretty much shows you the entire Yoda fight disguised as another trailer for Spider-Man. And after he shows the Yoda-Dooku fight to us for the first time, and this is weeks and weeks and weeks before the movie actually came out, the whole audience is screaming, just screaming. <laughs> it's chaos. And I just remember McCallum is up on stage just yelling into the microphone. Just something about episode two, Attack of the Clones. Go see it. Tell your friends to see it. It was at that moment, it was anarchy. Steam coming off of people. <laughs> Rick McCallum too, could have told us, go out there and burn this place down. And quite possibly the people that just watched the Yoda Dooku fight might have burned down celebration. I don't I don't know, but it was close. It could have happened. Well, and then it was the same at Celebration Three. We went to that in Indianapolis and I remember the lead up to Celebration 3, we were just like, oh, man, sure hope there's another one of those Rick McCallum panels. It's funny, but it's true. It's Yeah, with all the cool stuff you could see at Celebration, that's all we were talking about, like, leading up to it. Like, man, they better have – Rick better have that spectacular again because that's really – that's why we're here. We're driving four hours just to see Rick McCallum in half a ballroom show us some footage. I still have my program from Celebration 3, and recently I got it out and looked at it, and I looked at all the cool panels we did not go to. <laughs> but we sure as heck went to the Rick McCallum thing. I I still have it, too. I, the sign that was outside the door for the Rick McCallum panel, I took it down. And I still have it. I'll post a picture of it on like our uh, our Blast Points, the social media, everything. I was in such a fury after the McCallum panel. We should just print out a copy and stick it on a door at Celebration and just watch people freak out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then we'll forget we did it and we'll, we'll walk back by and be like, oh, my gosh, he's here. But, you know, all of this, everything we're saying for us and f for so many fans out there, that this is what made McCallum 
a legend for us. He was the living physical embodiment of our Star Wars excitement during that period of time, whether in the pages of Insider or in documentaries or on stage at Celebration. And we'll, we'll get to this later. He was so cool with fans. There are so many stories of people at Celebration who were, you know, saw him and was like, oh my God, it's Rick McCallum. And he stopped and talked to them. And I had completely forgotten. Do you remember this? There were hyperspace chats with Rick McCallum. Do you remember that? No. I did it once and I like couldn't get a question or I like you could submit questions and Rick McCown would answer them. They would do hyperspace chats with like Lauren Peterson or John Knoll. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. And there was one with Rick McCallum where someone in the UK asked, like, because it was right before they were doing the scoring sessions with John Williams. And someone in the UK was like, hey, is there any chance I can go to the scoring sessions tomorrow? And Rick McCallum's like, yeah. And the next day, this person from the UK was watching them, John Williams, conduct the London Symphony Orchestra as they did the score for Revenge of the Sith. That's Rick. He's making things happen. He is a larger-than-life, over-the-top personality, and that really was the that's what you needed with the prequels because they were kind of larger-than-life, over-the-top movies. <laughs> well, and some of it, too, even behind-the-scenes stuff, right? Like, as much as people talk about George Lucas, you know, pushing for digital stuff, a lot of the push for going full CG on a lot of stuff was from Rick, pushing George, because George... As much as he's about technology and moving things forward, is he's putting his money on the line. So he's a little bit more practical or pessimistic about maybe going full on. And you can see it in the beginning documentary. Like there's times where Rick's like, no, let's do it. We're going digital. Yeah, especially like when they're talking about Jar Jar. Like, well, maybe we do some suit or maybe we do half suit. And yeah, McCallum is just like, let's go all the way, George. Let's roll them bones. <laughs> into a little bit of the history of Rick McCallum, where he came from, how he met George Lucas. And weirdly, this story begins with Return to Oz, one of the most terrifying movies ever made. <laughs> one, of the, one of the freakiest movies anyone's ever seen ever. And so Return to Oz was shooting at Elstree Studios in the UK in 1984 with Walter Murch directing, who we all remember Walter Murch was Lucas's... I think it was his roommate in USC, very involved in THX 1138, probably would have done the sound design on Star Wars if he wasn't already working on uh, The Black Stallion. But he's the one that recommended Ben Burt for the job. So Merch is directing Return to Oz. And Return to Oz had a lot of Star Wars connections. Norman Reynolds was the production designer. Gary Kurtz was the executive producer. And Merch ran into all kinds of production problems with Return to Oz, and he asked Lucas for help. And so Lucas and Robert Watts acted as consultants on the production, and for a little while were there on the set with Merch, helping him out. So Lucas is there on the Elstree set, and he's wandering around to see what else is being filmed. And he runs into a soundstage that's filming Gavin Miller's uh, Lewis Carroll biopic called Dream Child. And the producer on this movie, Dream Child, happens to be some guy named Rick McCallum. 
and Lucas starts talking to him. And he's pretty impressed that they're running this this production with just about 18 people or so on that crew versus the hundreds and hundreds of people that are over there working on Return to Oz. And Lucas is telling McCallum, this is kind of the way he likes a set. He, this is the way he wants to, when he gets back into directing movies, this is the way he wants to do it. Very small crews, doing things kind of quick. And they kind of hit it off there. Now let's back up even further. Born in Germany on August 22nd, 1954, his stepfather, strangely enough, this is Michael York, star of Logan's Run. Hey, Michael York. And for a while, Rick McCallum worked in a perfume factory as a kid. Yeah, and after Germany, his parents moved to uh, Sumner, Missouri. As a kid, he wanted to be a firefighter or a pilot, but he fell in love with movies when he was 14 years old. And he says, I didn't know how to get there or how it was going to happen or if it was ever going to happen. But I thought, my God, these are beautiful things. Didn't he had a friend that like worked for a news show or something? Asked him to come by. Yeah. So his big break in show business um, was back was in Paris. And he was a driver for ABC News in Paris. Naturally, as you do. Yeah. And a friend of his who was also a driver. Uh, let him know that their assistant cameraman was sick. So Rick was able to take over that guy's job and kind of get his foot in the door that way. He says, I didn't know what I was doing, but that's when I realized I loved it and wanted to get into it. Supposedly in Paris, if somebody gets sick, they'll just let anybody run the camera, which is yeah. <laughs> sounds like a cool deal. But it also sounds like trying to make uh, Phantom Menace. No one knew what they were doing, but they loved it and they figured it out as they went. So he was the perfect... The perfect man for the job. Oh, and young Indiana Jones, too. Like, the whole point of that was just kind of filming a TV show in a way that you never filmed TV shows before. So he always kind of had the the spirit of, let's figure this out. And it's going to be awesome, no matter what we end up doing. No, Nobody be afraid. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So later he went to New York for college. He, he fell in with a bunch of filmmakers there, like James Ivory, who some... Some of you may know him from the, like the Merchant Ivory movies, and he, he kind of got really obsessed with getting into the film business. He went to Columbia University. He studied German, French, and English literature, and then after graduating, he still had the the film bug, and uh, he kind of went off with the Merchant Ivory folks and started doing a bunch of stuff on their productions. He went to the American Film Institute. Uh, he met John Frankenheimer, worked as an assistant director on The French Connection 2 and Black Sunday. But I guess while he was like acting as an assistant director, he started to kind of realize that he just really liked more the the, the whole idea of putting a crew together, assembling a, a team to make a movie. And he kind of thought his passion was much more in producing, which led him to producing a bunch of stuff in the UK, which he in the 80s, he did all kinds of stuff for the BBC until eventually he started getting tired of what he was saying, the constraints of the British film industry. But it was around this time, as we started to get into the 90s, where Lucas is prepping Young Indiana Jones. The whole concept for Young Indiana Jones has kind of been forgotten over the years, that it was originally intended to be like an educational show that he could sell to schools that would be more about teaching kids about different cultures and history. <laughs> Which, if you go back and watch Young Indy and you think of it in that way, it makes a lot more sense. 
Because <laughs> if you go into Young Indy expecting like Rares of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom or Crystal Skull or Last Crusade or something, you're going to be, well, what is this? <laughs> but Lucas was looking for someone to be a producer on Young Indy. And Young Indy was going to be an extremely ambitious TV show, like we were saying, with cutting-edge special effects, digital technology that had never been done before in anything. A quote from Rick is, nothing in television history had ever been done at that level, Rick says. In the first year, we shot for over 50 weeks nonstop, and we did 17 countries that first year. It was a very special period. So not your average TV show shoot. It was awesome. 70 weeks nonstop. It's the best. (laughs) So on the recommendation of Robert Watts, Lucas interviews Rick McCallum for the job of producing Young Indy. And McCallum remembers his meeting with Lucas way back in the Dream Child days and starts telling Lucas, like, like oh, we, we've met each other before. Oh, we did. Uh, I don't remember. It's like, you sound like Spielberg <laughs> trying to tell me that we used to be friends before. I don't remember it. So then later he calls him to tell him he got the job of producing Young Indy. And McCallum assembles this team for Young Indy that includes uh, Tasha Bigger doing costumes, Jonathan Hales writing scripts, David Tattersall as the director of photography, Gavin Bouquet as a production designer. And these are all people that went on to work on especially episode one. Jonathan Hales later came in on episode two. But a lot of that episode one dream team behind the scenes, aside from like Doug Chang's and stuff like that, that was kind of the stuff McCallum put together for Young Indy. And the dream with Young Indy was eventually what they learned on that would be applied to the impossible task of making new Star Wars movies. Yeah, it's, I think it's easily forgotten that he kind of assumed that the special editions were the practice run for the prequels. But really, they were the practice run part two after all the work they did with Young Indy and starting to use digital effects to do things cheaper and quicker and bigger. Paramount and Lucasfilm take you back to where the Indiana Jones legend began. From master storyteller George Lucas comes the new adventures of young Indiana Jones. 12 new to video features. The complete adventures of Indiana Jones. Collect them all. And after Young Indy, they took a lot of what they learned on that and used it on a feature film that we talk about all the time, Radioland Murders, which was an old script by Gloria Katz. And I always pronounce his last name, Willard Hike. Willard Hayek. <laughs> they wrote it in 76. Let's do some outrageous digital effects on this feature film. Radioland Murders comes out and nobody goes to see it. And I think Lucas's quotes on it was just like, it's okay because it passed the test. We can do all the crazy stuff. And McCallum was a producer on that, too. I mean, that was another, I mean, that's a lot of the Phantom Menace crew, right? Because David Tattersall was the director of photography on that as well, also, right? Yeah, like we said, McCallum then does the special editions and his name. I always thought it was crazy watching the credits for the special editions. And it says special edition produced by Rick McCallum. It's like, wow. (laughs) So did he just produce like the Banthas and the desert? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, all all the good stuff. Then we finally get to what all this has been leading to. Episode one, The Phantom Menace. 
the most expensive and ambitious independent film in history. <laughs> a massive, massive movie. And McCallum is the producer on this movie, entrusted with the budget and the schedule. 3,700 camera setups, and they plan to shoot the movie in just 65 days. Supposedly, Rick McCallum was a constant presence on the set. He was there every single day. Yeah, this is from uh, an interview for Attack of the Clones, where Rick says, when we're shooting, he says, I usually get up at 4.30 a.m., have breakfast, and get to the studio by 5.30. The hair and makeup artists and the actors usually arrive at the studio around 5.45, and I make sure they're all okay. Then I go back to the main production office and get my team, the production supervisor, the production designer, and the location manager, if we're on location. We start to plan for the next day to make sure everything will be ready. That's a big thing, working on the next day. By the time Rick leaves the studio, it's usually 10 o'clock at night, he says, uh, and then he got to eat, get up at 4.30 a.m. again. So possibly one of the secrets to being Rick McCollum is you're completely overly caffeinated 24 hours a day <laughs> and you're either on fire or you're asleep which is kind of which is kind of like being at celebration so basically rick mccollum is just living the star wars celebration lifestyle all the time that's maybe that's the best way to absorb star wars into your body to be on that real star wars high that rick mccallum was on nonstop from 1997 until 2005 Eat, drink, coffee, don't, don't sleep. sleep, watch Star Wars. That's <laughs> the, the best way to appreciate Star Wars. Film is a director's medium, and your job ultimately is once you agree with the director about the script, the budget, and the cast, and all the other things, your job is to support them 1,000% to exhaust all the possibilities in your imagination, to get them everything they need to be able to create what's in their mind's eye. So you're a servant to them, and they're your leader, and your job is to serve them and be a real friend, criticize them when they need to be, um, and just support them in every other level. There's a great quote from uh, Lucas about McCallum here. He says, the great thing about Rick is he never says no. He will screw up his face into a painful look. That's when I know I've gone too far. And he eventually will come back to me having found a way it can be done. I know a lot of directors that don't have the luxury of hiring their own producers. And if you have a producer placed upon you, it can undercut everything you're trying to do. The great thing about Rick is he can do the impossible. If I say I don't want to shoot a particular scene tomorrow and then I want to do something else, he'll say, okay. He'll work all night and move it around so it can get done. And there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on during you know, the production of The Phantom Menace. Nellie Portman sprained her ankle during just the four days that they were in Italy. And then they were going to Tunisia right after that, and she had a sprained ankle. Then there was that giant storm in Tunisia, which destroyed so much of their Mos Espa set and, like, Pod, giant pod racers were destroyed and Liam Neeson's wig is still floating around the desert somewhere to this day. So I guess they were like at their hotel or something and like they started to hear the thunder. And Lucas, according to the Cinema of George Lucas book, says to Rick, what are we going to do tomorrow? And Rick says, don't worry, we'll shoot. Yeah, after the storm, only one set was still sanding the landing ramp from... Uh the queen's ship. So Rick says that ramp for that ship was the one thing that saved us because it was the only thing that hadn't been destroyed in the storm. 
If we hadn't had that, we'd have been in real trouble because that stood, we were able to shoot there while the other sets were being reconstructed. We managed to rebuild without losing a day of shooting. We would literally finish painting a set and immediately bring in the actors to start filming. In fact, in a couple of scenes, Natalie walked in and suddenly realized that her shoes were stuck to the paint. <laughs> and then in true over-the-top McCollumness, he says, Tunisia was pure adrenaline. <laughs> and the shoot there was fantastic despite the problems we had to face. There was a volatility about it that was unnerving yet exhilarating. That that is what they needed. He was probably well, I don't I can't remember if there was Red Bull in 1998 when they were filming that but he was probably just just chugging cans of red bull all day long rick mccall a drop of rick mccollum's blood dripped into one of george lucas's cokes and red and red bull was created you think of like like what lucas was saying any other producer would have looked at just the phantom menace by itself and would said, this is impossible. There's no way. <laughs> well, and I think the other magical connection those two had, too, is they were definitely, and maybe it's because George Lucas hired him, but they were definitely both on the same page for how they wanted these movies to be made and how they thought movies could be made. There was a, definitely a common vision of kind of pushing technology while still making things as simple and cheap as possible. I mean, wasn't it originally the idea was that episode one was going to be like Attack of the Clones was the first movie shot completely digital. And I think it was McCallum who was like, let's do it. Let's get the camera companies to get to our level, get to our speed. Because I remember even during the interviews during Attack of the Clones where he was just like, they've got to keep up. They want to show Attack of the Clones. They got to figure it out. I mean, he was pushing for digital technology just as much as Lucas was. But it is, it's like if you had, if if George Lucas had had Rick McCollum around during their original trilogy, George Lucas would probably not have been so miserable because he was, he was what George Lucas needed to get things done and to take care of the things that would make George Lucas curl up into a ball. I think that's, yeah, that's a really good point. It's, yeah, he did all the things that George Lucas hated. They were a good match. And like we said in the beginning of the episode, just from the fan perspective, he said everything we wanted to hear. He was larger than life. He was a legend. Lucas was the the creator, the man, the crazy man with a beard and a flannel shirt coming up with all this nonsense. But McCallum was the excitement of the movie coming out and someone on stage shouting at you about how much you're going to love Attack of the Clones. Well, and part of... His larger-than-life persona is he would just make stuff up, too. He would remember some conversation he had with George Lucas, and he would tell us that that's what was going to happen in the movies, whether it was going to happen or not. It was like he had good intentions, and what he said was in the spirit of what was really going to happen, but telling the absolute exact truth did not stop him. Because I still remember it wasn't one of the spectaculars where he was talking about how all of Vader's armor... Remember, was like going to appear throughout the different movies from different characters or something. Remember that? I, I sure do. <laughs> like he was going to get the cape from someone and the helmet from someone and it was all going to add up to to him being Vader at the end. I, yeah, I remember being in the audience. You just hear like murmurs of like, whoa. So if we're, and for as far as we know, you know, George Lucas, maybe he told him that at some point 
over dinner when they're each on two hours of sleep. Who knows? Well, then after The Phantom Menace, you know, there was the episode two and there was episode three and there was Red Tails. But McCallum kept popping up again whenever someone would see him anywhere. And they'd ask, like, so what's going on with the Star Wars TV show? Dude, it's so big. It's too big. We can't even talk about it. <laughs> Remember that? It was always like, oh, my God, McCallum's talking the TV show. He's still out there. He's got more gray hair, but he's still hyping up this Star Wars thing all the way up to before the Disney sale. There was still McCallum out there talking about this TV show that is it ever going to happen? I don't know. Even all during Clone Wars. Well, and it makes me wonder... Are we going to see a picture of him hanging out on the set of one of the TV shows? Because as as much as we, I'm sure it's George Lucas's, you know, dream, finally having a Star Wars kind of live action TV show. I'm sure that was a little bit of Rick's dream, too, because especially going from young indie into making the prequels and then now spending. I mean, he spent years basically trying to make another young Indiana Jones, but with the visual effects quality of a Star Wars movie, like how much of that just R&D and trying to figure all that out and making it affordable actually did make something like The Mandalorian possible. Uh, even, even if he wasn't on the set, I hope he's still a fan. And I hope, like, especially when The Mandalorian comes out, he watches it. He subscribes to Disney Plus and he watches it and... You know, some part of him somewhere is kind of just like, we did it, baby. The dream is finally here. You know, I'm sure he wishes he was involved in it and he was on the set smashing bottles over his head and riding in on a skateboard, doing tricks on a skateboard as he shows up on the set. But well, what they did on Young Indy and what they what led into the unbelievable feat of actually getting the Phantom Menace made, there wouldn't be the Mandalorian without all that. And everything ILM learned that they applied to everything post the prequels. A lot of that learning and experimenting and pushing the boundaries was from the Rick, Mr. Rick, Mr. McCollum and his big blue ox. So on November 30th, 2012, StarWars.com posted an article, An Independent Future for Rick McCallum, saying that he, he was embarking on an exciting future filled with his own films. There's another quote from Lucas. Rick is a close friend as well as an extremely talented producer. No matter how impossible the task, Rick was able to overcome the challenges. In addition to putting together great crews and working miracles with the budget, he was instrumental in helping push filmmaking into the 21st century. He's a larger-than-life personality and made this amazing 20-year journey with him a fun one. I was sad to see him go. But I can't imagine him working with how they're doing the sequel trilogy. <laughs> it was the end of an era, and we're in a new era now. And, you know, it's no secret we love this new era, too. And we love the new, the new faces of this new era. And it, it just makes sense. I mean, there was, there was the, the Gary Kurtz and Robert Watts era. And, and then there was the Rick McCallum era. And now we're in, you know, the Ryan Johnson, the J.J. Abrams era. It just makes sense that there's always new blood coming into these eras of Star Wars. And I I would just love if McCallum had like a YouTube channel or a podcast or something. I I, I like it's like we're saying, I I imagine he's still a Star Wars fan. And I just want to hear him get me riled up even more about episode nine or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wait, maybe they need to. uh, He needs his own subscription service like Rick Plus. And you just pay for that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just him hyping up whatever's coming out. So according to this article, after completing Red Tails, McCallum relocated to Prague, his wife's native country. He is now in development of a slate of smaller independent films that more closely resemble the projects he was involved with prior to his association with Lucasfilm. And he, he has produced a bunch of stuff. Like he's produced Russian films and Czechoslovakian films and all kinds of crazy stuff that probably we'll never even see. He's quoted in the article that he looks forward to seeing the new Star Wars films under the stewardship of Kathleen Kennedy. And he says there is only one person in the world who could do this, and that's Kathleen Kennedy. There's no one more suited who is able to bridge the worlds of elite filmmaking within a studio context. The Star Wars saga will always be taken care of under her leadership. She is truly one of the greatest producers in America, as well as being a great friend. I think it's going to be huge. Um, I think under Kathy Kennedy's realm, it's just going to keep going and get better and better and better. So I'm really excited about watching what she does and watching what happens. But it's all great because it's another generation. You know, I did one or two generations, and she gets to take it on until um, she passes it over to somebody else. And this article ends with him saying to the Star Wars fans out there, Thank you for being so welcoming, supportive, and so good to me. You made it the most worthwhile and amazing experience. I have nothing but the biggest faith and trust that where Kathleen is going to take Star Wars will be bold, exciting, and a daring future that will be worthy of all your incredible passion and loyalty over all these years. It will be awesome. He can't not be rick mccollum we th- we thank you rick mccallum we <laughs> for those about to rick we salute you certainly after i finished episode one i did a 10-week tour all through eastern europe and central europe and asia with the film i showed it you know every night in a new country a new city and i was truly you know gobsmacked by how the impact of it was and especially with young kids especially kids from eight to twelve year old eight to 12 years old, both boys and girls. You know, it's just, it's a really amazing phenomena. But I can't really take any, I don't take any ownership of it. I can't take it too seriously because it really, it comes from another era. I don't personally take anything out of it because it really is is his phenomena. It's his, you know, it's everything that comes out of his head. But it is very thrilling to be a part of. So we put out the call to listeners to share their personal Rick McCallum stories. We got some great voice messages, and we got some stuff people wrote in. So let's start with one we got from John. Let's check that out. Hey, Jason and Gabe. This is John from the Blockhead Runner podcast, and I want to share one of my favorite stories and experiences from all the celebrations I've been to, and that is meeting Rick McCollum at Star Wars Celebration 2 in Indianapolis. Uh, My buddy Adam and I were out cruising the streets early one morning in Indy, getting ready to go to uh, uh, to the convention for the day, and outside of... I guess Rick McCollum's hotel. Um, we saw him, you know, coming out and he had his coffee with him and he had his shades and he had his hair and he was getting ready to go to, uh, the convention for the day. And we just stopped him and chatted with him for a few minutes and he could not have been nicer. He was so cool and so friendly. We took a photo with him, which I'll send along with you guys. But, um, yeah, he was just, he was so cool, so nice. And he was really like in sales mode though. He, he really wanted us to go to the, um, the Rick McCollum spectacular, which of course we were already planning on doing, but he told us 
us like two or three times, like, make sure you're at the spectacular, make sure you're there. Um, because, uh, he let us know that he was going to be showing some footage from attack of the clones. And of course he did. He showed like, I think close to 10 minutes of footage from attack of the clones. And it was, um, amazing. And of course we made sure to go to the spectacular celebration three as well. But, uh, yeah, you know what? It's not often that you're, uh, that close to greatness. And so having that experience of being there with, um, the incomparable Rick McCollum, it was, it was fantastic. And, um, he's the best, he's the best dude. And, and, uh, our experience meeting him uh, reflected that. So really cool to hear that you guys are doing, uh, an episode all about, uh, our guy, Rick McCollum. And I uh, can't wait to hear it. Thanks a lot, guys. So it's all about harassing him on the street and he's a gentleman and a salesman. McCallum is a man of the people. And the next one, uh, was sent to us from uh, Mike in the UK. What does that one say? So Mike says, Hey, Jason and Gabe and the Blast Points gang. About three years ago, my wife and I visited Prague for her 30th birthday. A few days into the trip, we were walking through the city, hoping to find somewhere to have breakfast, when a large, expensive car pulled up alongside us. Something like a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce. The door opened and out stepped none other than Rick McCollum. Sporting blue jeans, a dark fleece, and some kick-ass shades, he strode straight past us and into a nearby cafe. I turned to my wife, barely able to contain my excitement, and said, That was Rick McCollum. To which my wife replied, Who's Rick McCollum? (laughs) I tried to explain how he helped create the prequels and how my Star Wars VHSs would start with an intro of him and George Lucas discussing the changes that had been added to each film. As they explained, I stood looking at him through the window. It was obvious he wanted to be left alone and just wanted to grab a coffee. Eventually, my wife said, Mike, just let the poor man buy breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) And so we left. And to this day, I wonder if I should have approached him, had a photo and told him what an inspiration he was. Ah, well, maybe next time. Keep up the great work, guys. Regards, Mike Dixon, UK. Mike, you're stronger than we are. (laughs) You never know. Regrets. I would at that moment convince myself that I died and I must be in heaven right now. I might have melted into the drain and be floating around the the Prague sewers as a pool of slime at this point. All right, let's hear, let's hear one from Nick. Let's hear what Nick has to say. Hi, Jason and Gabe. This is Nick, and this is my Rick McCallum story. During Celebration 2, in one of the smaller room panels, Rick had shown up and did a little bit of a Q&A. When he started taking questions from the audience, I was lucky enough to get called upon. I stood up and held way above my head my copy on VHS of Link, the Maniac Monkey movie starring Elizabeth Shue. And I had asked him how he could go from producing Link to producing Star Wars. His reaction was waving me off like he didn't want anybody to see it. Like, please sit down, don't show anybody. He was very embarrassed by it. He said that he had been trying to get his name off of Link as a producer credit for years, but had been unable to. However, he was glad that at least someone had liked the movie Link. Afterwards, I actually did get his signature on that VHS tape. So there will always be Rick McCown's name associated with Link, even if he does Never get his name off that producing credit. Thanks, and love the podcast. Have a great day, guys. Oh, that's good. We were there. I remember that. I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember at that moment, my mind was blown because I had always been a big fan of Link. It used to show on HBO all the time. Link's not a bad movie, FYI. I remember being like, wait, McCallum produced Link? Link, the body of an ape. The mind of a man. Link, go out and shut the door. They took him from the circus and threw him into the human jungle. We all have relatives we'd rather not talk about. Link. Oh, Nick, thank you. That, that made my night. Thank you. You're doing good work. Okay, so we got one from Katie. Let's hear Katie's. Hey, Bless Points. It's me, Katie. Uh, I heard you were doing a Rick McCallum episode, which is really cool. So I thought I'd come in and uh, make sure that so long as you're talking about Rick McCallum, uh, you need to use his full proper title, okay? You know, this man has given us a lot, so we have to show him the proper respect, all right? I, I absolutely positively insist that every time you say his name, you address him by his full title, uh, which would be Rick McCallum Stormborn of the House Targaryen, the first of his name, the Unburnt, Queen of the Andals, the Ronar and the First Men, Queen of Marine, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Protector of the Realm, Lady Regent of the Seven Kingdoms, Breaker of Chains, and Mother of Dragons, of course. You know, you, you guys know this, but that's that's the only way to talk about Rick McCallum. And, I, and I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. You guys, uh, you know what you're about, so... Uh, I'm sure every time you've said his name thus far, uh, you've used his full proper title. And uh, I'm really proud of you guys for doing that. But, uh, but, you know, of course, for me, um, I love Rick because uh, he helped bring us the prequels, which, of course, are just so, so important to me because those are the, those are the Star Wars that I grew up with. And so, of course, uh, I only really know uh, Rick from the special features and interviews from uh, DVD specials and the Blu-rays the like. Um, and what sticks out in my memory about him is how he talked about, um, well, my demographic, my generation of Star Wars, and how um, when he showed Phantom Menace from the first time, he was just overwhelmed by the the reaction from children, uh, boys and girls, uh, and just you know how overwhelmed he was by their enthusiasm and their love for this, uh, you know, this new Star Wars, this new Star Wars for a new generation, and. You know, like George Lucas, it was just, it was very important to, to Rick that we remember that Star Wars is for them, you know, for, for kids 8 to 12, <laughs> which of course I was when The Phantom Menace was coming out. So I was exactly one of those kids just absolutely freaking out about The Phantom Menace. You know, still am, of course, obviously. <laughs> That's just my life now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so Rick would talk about how, how Star Wars is, is sh- shot from the perspective of a child, you know, all the angles are low and everything seems big and important. And that's why Star Wars feels big and important. You know, it it makes us look at things the way a child would. And I just, I think it's immensely cool that Rick never forgot that. And he brought that to absolutely everything. You know, that's just, that's really awesome. So, um, you know, thanks, you guys. I uh, I can't wait to hear your episode all about the Mother of Dragons. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely great. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Katie. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've been lazy in just using his nickname, Rick McCollum, instead of his full proper name. But the episode would be two hours long if we did that. So, And we have one last message of a, a voice that some, some people out there may find familiar. Let's, let's see who this is. Hey guys, it's Steel from the Steel Wars podcast. How are you doing, Blast Pointers? I'm so excited to be invited onto the show to talk Rick McCollum. And I, you know, I could just say, 
you know, all the things I love about him. But I thought, you know, let's go a bit further. Let's get in contact. I've got a little black book. Sure, it's empty, but I tracked down the man himself. Welcome to Blast Points Podcast, the producer of the prequel trilogy, Rick McCullum. Dude. 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 Hey, so you were saying you were running late to do this interview because you were helping someone reverse park? And I told him we were getting closer and closer and he was so thrilled. Dude. Dude. Well, that's really good of you, man. Uh, it sounds like it all worked out. This is just, it's brilliant. So it's 20 years since The Phantom Menace and I know I'm really excited to talk about Rick McCall. We all know. Well, you're Rick McCallum. What do you think when you think of yourself? Really, really happy. And what's it like to be, like, the only person that's ever sworn on a Star Wars documentary? I'm so happy. You sound pretty happy. Really, really happy. Well, that sounds pretty good. It's just fantastic. And, hey, one more thing. What is uh, just a good city to name drop so I sound cultured? Prague. Dude. Dude. This is just, it's brilliant. Hey, man, thanks so much. Um, I feel really good about it. How do you, how do you feel? But it's also good. I think it'll be so worthwhile. Dude. Dude. You happy with this? I'm so happy. Dude. Dude. Really, really happy. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was really awesome. Dude. Yeah. Dude. I'm so happy. Well, what have we learned today? That Rick... McCallum has touched our lives in so many ways. He's so important to so many Star Wars fans out there, and we miss him dearly. And you know, we're still holding on hope that that Phantom Menace panel at Celebration Chicago, maybe he'll show up. Yeah, there's one person that needs to be there. If I could only pick one person, it might be Mr. Rick McCallum himself, Mr. Phantom Menace. <laughs> You know, every relationship you have, if you're a producer, is um, how dependent on how successful the relationship is with your director really determines how well the film goes and how much you guys like working together. You think um, you've just gotten a clue of how he thinks, and then suddenly he comes up with stuff that is so imaginative and bold and provocative. But because of this environment that he's created for us, it's such a joy. So I'm incredibly lucky and uh, honored to be able to be a part of it. This is fucking awesome. George Lucas was a filmmaker with a great big job to be done. A job that needed a producer, Rick McCollum was the one. Hey, Rick, Rick McCollum. Cinema's future, he did see, was digital technology. Hey, Rick, Rick So as part of Phantom Menace Month, it's our time to thank all of our Patreon Blast Points Army members. Thank you so much for supporting the show and 
allowing us to do what we do and do even more. Um, and part of that, our Patreon exclusive stuff this month, we're going to mix it up a little bit since we are going to be doing a review of Captain Marvel. That is going to come out on the 15th and in its place on the 1st, we're going to do our movie commentary and we're going to do the not quite Star Wars classic Star Crash. And that that's already up as we're talking right now. So if you're a Patreon member and you haven't heard our Star Crash commentary, you can go over there right now and check it out. David Hasselhoff with a lightsaber. What else do you need? Get warmed up for celebration with a little uh, Star Hasselhoff. But yeah, we love doing it. I'm, I'm looking forward to a whole episode dedicated to Captain Marvel. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a fun month. So much Patreon stuff planned. Man, maybe we'll do an Iron Man 2 versus Iron Man 3. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it might have to happen. There's some <laughs> gauntlets thrown down. Some, some harsh words were spoken between the two of us. <laughs> maybe we'll rent a boxing ring somewhere and we can debate the merits of Iron Man 2 and 3. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, but first, yeah, let's thank our uh, all of our Patreon subscribers for the month. All right. Big thank you to Darren, Matthew, Brian, Richie, Nathan, Brittany, Ryan, Angelo, Kevin, Terrence, Steve, Amy, Brad, Steve, and Kit, Christian, Jay, Stephen, Connie, Craig, Michelle, Neil, Sean, Amy, Jay, Tom, Patrick, Tracy, David, Ian, Aiden, Matthew, Brandon, Dave, Anuj, Allison, Aaron, Jeremy, Jason, San, Nathaniel, Ash, Marie, Joe, John, Stephanie, Brandon, Josh, Mario, Jonathan, Rodney, Marissa, Eric, Amy, Todd, John and Olivia. John, Matt, Jeff, Rob, Drac. Jonathan, Adam, Katie, and Khadija. Thank you, each and every one of you, over at the Blast Wings Patreon Army. Like we said, lots of cool bonus stuff coming, and you know, we'd appreciate your support so much. Yes, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. And like we say every single week, Leave us a review over on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it now, after you're done listening. If you want to go write something awesome over there, go ahead, do it. We love reading it, and we'll read it on an upcoming show. And after-
after that, don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com, our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and make sure you sign up for the Blast Points Super Chill Group, where it's always Blast Points 24-7, all the time, seven days a week, where it's always Phantom Menace Year, and Attack of the Clones Month, and Return of the Jedi Week. Empire Strikes Back. Afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Revenge of the Synth Lunch. Whatever you can think of. Next couple weeks, next few weeks, it's going to be great. We've got a lot of really cool celebration stuff coming. We are just like weeks away from Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, and we're going to have lots of cool stuff heading into Star Wars Celebration in Chicago that I'm really looking forward to. Some really awesome episodes coming up. So until then, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you. And uh, keep Phantom Menace here going. Don't ever stop. Do it McCallum style. <laughs> May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. share of that kind of experience before where suddenly the titles come on and you go apeshit or you know you just go insane and you get to jump up and down and, and scream. Made a